Welcome to season two of the Testimony Service Podcast, brought to you by Engage. Engage is a brand I started at the end of last year to serve as a reminder for us to engage with God, to actually cultivate a personal relationship with Him, and then to engage others, to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to those around us. And one of the ways we engage others is through our testimonies. You guys are really in for a treat this episode, episode 203 with Pastor Joe. If Pastor Joe sounds familiar, that's because you've been listening to all my episodes. Episode 201, Monica spoke very highly of Pastor Joe, so you probably already know a little bit about him, but I'm telling you, you're in for a treat. Buckle your seatbelt on because Pastor Joe was way ahead of me. This episode jumps right into it. So without further ado, episode 203, Kissing Cousins. But she was married five times with boyfriends between, and one of those boyfriends was my father, who I never met. Mm. And um, my five stepfathers were two alcoholics, a bank robber, and two benign guys. That served to be emotionally crippling for me, all that happening. And I think some things that happened to us, those kind of events uh, carry their own inherent intention. And I think the devil uses that to emotionally cripple us. But God, I think the way God demonstrates his sovereignty is that he lets it happen, not because he disfavors us, but because he has his own greater purpose for it to happen. Because years and years later, I helped two of my five stepfathers become Christian, one three weeks before he died. But but I had to begin my journey. Um, You know, you're either journeying from something less noble to something more noble, or you're stuck at a station. And I was stuck at a station as a, as a child and as a teenager, I was stuck at a station of resentment. And, re, and you can't have an emotion or attitude residential within you and have it in isolation. It'll always invite his kissing cousins to come live with it. So resentment has some pretty bad kissing cousins. There's a basic distrust of life. There's a desire to get even. And there's a felt need to manipulate life in your favor because if you don't, it won't be in your favor. And so when the Bible talks about the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, etc., that's because they're family members. They're kissing cousins. They belong together. And if you have one of them in a dominant way, residentially within you, it's only a matter of time for the others come and roost with it. Where resentment has kissing cousins. So we've got to be particular in the midst of all the emotions that come and go in us. There's always one we pick to be core to us. So for some people, it's fear. So some people, it's bitterness. And for me, it was resentment. And then in the middle of eighth grade, I met Christ through my best buddy in eighth grade in Columbus, Ohio. We lived in the same neighborhood with the same junior high. I wasn't really a churchgoer, although my mom had me baptized at the Catholic Church. But we went to Mass maybe two, three times a year at most. He invited me to his church in our neighborhood, which was Pentecostal. And Pentecostal is very different than Roman Catholic. Roman Catholic tradition is very regimented. Pentecostal is more animated. And as a teenager, I prefer animation over regimentation. After a few weeks going to that Pentecostal church, I became a Christian there. I was in the middle of eighth grade. I was in remedial English. I had flunked first grade. And I was stuck with resentment for years and years. And then when I met Christ at that Pentecostal church and became a Christian, I started my journey. I said a journey from resentment to gratitude. And my life abounds with gratitude most days now, years and years into it. And gratitude has better kissing cousins than resentment does. If you're truly grateful, then you see life basically as a gift 
and uh, you trust the Lord of life and you don't try to manipulate because all things work together for good to those who love God. So God's intention for letting it happen trumped the inherent intention of what happened. And that's how God demonstrates his sovereignty. His intention can overrule the inherent intention of something adverse that happens to us. If we aren't moving Christwardly, if we're stuck at a station emotionally, then the inherent intention of what happened to us will prevail. Only if we keep on moving Christwardly are we telling God we want him to use his sovereignty to overrule the inherent intention of what happened to us. Does that make sense? It this, does, is my yeah. own kind of, this is my own kind of reasoning of trying to understand my journey. So, uh, you know, years and years into it, uh, once I was more and more into the uh, gratitude grid of things, I was able to witness the two of my five stepfathers and helped him become Christian. One, three weeks before he died at age 71, he had a bad heart. He was my mother's fifth and final husband. And I was in his hospital room. And um, he said, Michael, my middle name is Michael. My whole family calls him Mike. I'm Joseph Michael. My, all my friends and enemies call me Joe. And um, he says, you know, I'm not going to tackle this. I have a bad heart. I'm going to die. I've never taken this Christian thing seriously. Michael, you're going to have to guide me through it because I don't have much longer to live. He was scurrying with the fact that he had limited time. He was 71 and a bad heart. So I led him to a confession of faith and commitment to Christ. He became a Christian at age 71. And three weeks later, he died. And I spoke at his memorial service, but he, he moved from being making life all about himself, because you know what the smallest package in the world is. The smallest package in the world is a person completely wrapped up in themselves. He moved from that to being a confessing Christian. And so like one of the thieves on the cross whose heart was converted, he became Christian the last three weeks he was alive. And if I hadn't moved from resentment to gratitude, I would not have been available to be that kind of vessel. That's why we always got to keep on what I call choosing to, to move Christwardly. If we're going to uh, welcome God's sovereignty to overrule the inherent intention of some things that happened to us. Yeah, that's a that's amazing um, to have grown up, you know, in the in the household with the relationships that your mom had. And I mean, you know, you didn't go too deep into that, but to to then be able to grow Christwardly, like you said, and be the bigger person to to pray with that person, you know, at their time of need, because I mean, we all we all needed Christ at some point, you know, and for someone to be so prideful and, and to call themselves a Christian, because, you know, it's very easy to do. Well, I'm a Christian and I've forgiven that person, but I've cut them off. So I, I just don't have anything to do with them. But I mean, we're all souls. So I love that you were able to put that aside and really let God use you in that moment because, I mean, you could have just as easily, oh, I have things on my agenda or I'm too busy or, you know, how whatever type of bitterness could have, you know, still been harbored in your heart or lingering. Because I know a lot of times when we distance ourselves from people, obviously, as you grew up and moved out of the house, maybe you guys weren't as close as you were. Well, I'm, you know, physically, I don't know if you guys were ever like, you know, emotionally close, but as we distance ourselves from people, it's easy for that distance to feel like, oh, I've forgiven them because it's not on your mind all the time. But to be face to face at that moment, it could have been very easy for you to just not follow God's lead to do that. And I mean, his soul 
my God, <laughs> when you think that, about it, yeah. The fact that Christ saved me and forgave me, and when I became a Christian middle of eighth grade at Pentecostal Church in the ensuing years from uh, middle of eighth grade through my high school senior year, that church became my surrogate family, teaching me things that my family of origin should have but never did, and helping me to have an orientation which is more wholesome and healthy than what I had had. God didn't just do something to my heart and soul when I became Christian. For some reason, in terms of my own personal destiny, he did something to my brain. And I didn't know that at that moment, but I grew to know it because you don't normally go from middle English in eighth grade to honors English in ninth grade. You might go to regular English in ninth grade, but you don't jump from remedial to honors. But I did. And the difference was the Christ event in my life. Christ had a destiny for me far beyond my own imagination because I got this scholarship to um, Wittenberg University, which is like a butler in Indiana, but it's a, it's a university in my home state of Ohio, and it's Lutheran-based. And uh, the Pentecostals prophesied over me and said that I would plunk out within a couple of years because God wouldn't have my faith compromised by education. Mm. So the Pentecostals were, I met Christ through the Pentecostals, but the very Christ I met there called me out of it. Because myself, Mayor Wittenberg, I left the Pentecostal church on the day of Pentecost and became a Lutheran. Mm. But I call Christian a noun and Lutheran, Catholic, and Baptist adjectives. And the only reason why we have adjectives is to describe nouns. But some adjectives get so ambitious they want to become a noun. Mm. And they, be, they should be slapped back down in adjuhood and be content with describing Christianity, but never take the place of the, of the noun Christian. Because the Christian faith should be a non-competitive sport among Christians. I think all denominations and, and independent bodies of Christians are Bible blind in some way. And we need a consortium of all of them around a, an imaginary table and help each other be less blind. Because I was Catholic through eighth grade, Pentecostal the first year of college, Lutheran Sister Middle College, independent evangelical. And for a while, I, to justify what I was, I was against what I was earlier. But God taught me, Joe, stop that. Take the gift from each of those and integrate that into one life journey of faith and formation. So what God has done, he's equipped me to be a bridge builder. I know how to talk to Roman Catholic. I know how to talk to Pentecostal. I speak in tongues in my personal prayer life. I know how to talk to intellectual. I'm a Yale graduate. I know how to talk to independent evangelical. God has caused me to have these different varied experiences, but he's, he's called me to integrate them into one life journey. I love that. That is so important. Like I went to, how would I say I was raised? I was in Church of God in Christ for a while. I think my parents grew up apostolic. Um, I went to a Catholic high school and now Heartland. Uh, would you consider that non-denominational? Non-denominational, independent yeah. evangelical. Like you were saying how once you were... Pentecostal, you were kind of, I don't know, not not talking down on, but you felt a way about Roman Catholics because now, oh, I'm here and this is the way. And a lot of times it can be competing or this is better than this, or yeah, if you're yeah. not part of this, you're not really this, you know? And yeah. so I love that you said that you're like building bridges and how you can talk to all these different people. Because even me, I don't think I would ever outwardly say that that's how I would ever think, but there are things that you can take from each. You, there's no reason to you know, look down on someone else who differs in one certain belief. You know what I mean? Um, I, lo I love that. Yeah, it's so important. And a lot of times we just get wrapped up in our one thing that e nobody, nobody else matters. <laughs> yeah, I think you, 
in a way, you don't try to, it's wise not to try to box the Holy Spirit by where he's going to work, where he's not. He'll tell you where he's going to work. You don't ever tell the Holy Spirit that. And when I finished Wittenberg and I got accepted, to, I, I became Lutheran because I loved Luther. I, I Luther was the one through whom Protestantism was born. At the time, Luther was around in the late 1400s and the 1500s. He, there was only two church, Christian churches in the world, the Roman Catholic Church in the West and the Orthodox uh, Church in the East. And uh, that was it. And Luther challenged the Pope because uh, at that time, Roman Catholicism was more in tradition and it wasn't biblical uh, appreciation. So Luther coined the phrase, Sola Scriptura, only the scripture, and the Reformation was born. But in those days, they didn't call it Protestant. They called it Protestant. Mm-hmm. And they just cleaned it up and called it Protestant. But uh, what's interesting is that Luther, it seemed like sometimes for the Pentecostals, their passion exceeded their insight. Mm. But for Luther, his passion, insight, I experienced someone, a historical figure, and Martin Luther King was named after him. Martin Luther was, his passion, insight were shoulder to shoulder. One didn't exceed the other. As a growing, maturing Christian, I wanted that balance of passion and insight. We got to really make sure that a love for Christ even exceeds our appreciation for our current affiliation. Uh, I grew a Lutheran church in Fishers for 30 years. It's on 35 acres. I named it Christ Savior Lutheran Church. But then the denomination took a left trajectory and became a little bit more too liberal. And even though I'm a Yale, I don't like being too far left or right. So I, I resigned from that denomination, joined a more moderate Lutheran denomination. Uh, then Darren Chesky, senior founding pastor of, of Heartland, who I welcomed to town 12 years earlier, asked me to come on board as teaching pastor of spiritual formation. So I taught mentoring and counseled for about six years at Heartland, and about a year ago I retired, although people around Fishers are saying, Pastor Joe is not so much retired as he is rewired, but I still do periodic counseling and mentoring of individuals and couples, because I've done over 600 weddings in 40 years and still doing weddings and funerals, and I do individual counseling and mentoring of individuals and couples a few times a week, and um, it's a great privilege to do so, because I've been 40 years into ministry, and when I retire, why should I just scaffold all that? I, 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 you know, in Fishers, they call me the village pastor. Fishers Magazine did a big article on me when I retired and put me on the front cover two Januarys ago. And I thought my big debut was growing a church from scratch, knocking on doors. But people said, no, the big thing about Pastor Joe is he's a kind of pastor who cares enough to care for one person at a time. Because a lot of times pastors want to jump over the one-on-one and have the buzz of the crowd. But ironically, the ones who speak best to the crowd are the ones who, first of all, have cared enough to care for one person at a time. And person after person who was interviewed for this article said, that's, that's Pastor Joe's gift. He's able to be present to one person and one couple at a time. That's Pastor Joe. And so you got to care enough to care for one person at a time and one couple at a time. And that's been my trademark when I was in Colorado for a few years. I was in Ohio for a few years and here in Indiana for the last 30 some years. And, um, it continues to be a journey of growing and maturing, and, and um, I'm grateful that God is who he is. Because I think, you know, I don't know if you ever read the message translation of the Bible. Eugene Peterson translated it. But the way he introduces each book of the Bible is incredible. And how he introduces, um, I think, Leviticus is the most boring book in all of Scripture. And he says, we require much learning and long training for living in response to God as he really is and who, not who we want him to be. So we got to, you know, we got to continue to grow and mature in our awareness of who God is 
that, that requires much teaching and long training for living in response to God as he really is. Don't you think that God is, you know, we know him through Christ, but I also think God is not just the one we know in a core way through Christ. God is also what I call the God of irony. Because um, it's ironic that a first grade flunky who's in middle English will get accepted to Yale, Harvard, and Vanderbilt for grad schools. It's not natural. But God, in his destiny for me, arranged it that way. And um, when I got a prophesied over a Pentecostal uh, person that I would flunk out within two years of college, I went to college thinking I'd be a tester of my faith. I fell in love with education. Mm. I excelled. And, um, and so I, I realized that although I revered that Pentecostal church, it had its own limitations in some ways. And, uh, and, and education is not the enemy. God's the Lord of all. In fact, education originally means at edu. It means to be led from one point of view to a more profound point of view. We led out of one understanding to a deeper understanding. And when I was going through education at, at Wittenberg and Yale and clinical training at National Institute of Mental Health, I grew deeper and deeper in, in learning and understanding. And it's a, it understands a great capacity God's given us and how we live our lives or either dull in or enhance our capacity to understand. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so kind of going way back to what you kind of said, um, the passion versus insight, that is so important and so easily overlooked. It, it a lot of times is one or the other. Like I know growing up kind of in a Pentecostal upbringing, I think I was maybe 18 or 19 when I decided for the first, I was born and raised in the church, um, but I think I was 18 or 19 when I first made the decision that at this church I was at, it was more passion than insight. And I'm like, I, like, I want to know God more. I don't want to just shout and yell and get excited. Like I want to know some stuff. And that was the first time that I made the decision on my own to join a church apart from my parents and like, you know, seek out a church on my own. And at that church, it kind of had a mixture. And so, yeah, that's so important. I don't think I've ever been at a church eh, that has more insight than passion, but yeah, definitely having that balance and not letting one outweigh the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that really, that really stood out to me when you just said that. Yeah. Well, I think Pastor Darren and Heartland Church, Heartland Church is the most multi-generational, multi-ethnic church in all the Fishers. And uh, Pastor Darren does have that passion and insight that are shoulder to shoulder. And for me, you know, I think there are some Lutheran pastors who are more Lutheran than Luther ever was. Mm. When, uh, when Luther became renowned all across Europe, well, these few guys wanted to beat the great Martin Luther. So they got to Germany, went to that community, Wittenberg, uh, Lutherstadt, and they asked where Luther lived. And, and people said, well, he lives there. And so they went there, knocked at the door. I hadn't really met him yet. And Luther himself answered the door. And they said, we're here to, see the, to meet the great Martin Luther. He said, you didn't hear? Didn't hear, didn't hear what? He died. Christ lives here now. <laughs> oh. Yeah, yeah. That's a great answer. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And it's so important. I mean, the scripture talks about that dying to yourself um, so that Christ can live in us. And I think a lot of times we just read it as this cute thing and we're, we're not necessarily willing to die to self. I mean, it it sounds hard. It sounds scary. It sounds like, well, what's the point? Um, I don't know. I'm sure there's a lot of things that go through everyone's mind when they hear that, but I mean, it's, it's in there. It's in black and white. <laughs> well, I don't know whether it's Matthew 16, Mark 16 or what, but there's a story where Jesus is with the, uh, the disciples and modeling and teaching and mentoring them for about three years. 
And he's finally asking the question, who do people say that I am? And you get this idea of what other people are saying about Jesus. They're just good journalists, so to speak. And so they say, well, some say you're John the Baptist with his head back on. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're, you're prophet Jeremiah. And, and so they're all giving all kinds of answers because they've been listening to people and they have their own notions too. But then he moves from the academic and the journalistic question to the deeply personal question, but who do you say I am? And who was the one to answer that question of all the 12? Peter. Who wasn't Peter? He was Cephas. And he says, you're Christ, son of the living God. And, and Jesus said, uh, Cephas, um, Simon, blessed are you because the Holy Spirit revealed this to you. And let me tell you now, your name is no longer Simon or Cephas. Your name from now on is Peter, Petros, Rock. So what happened is when we get it, the implication in that passage is when we get it right about who Christ is, the gift we get in return is our own identity. Mm. Because at that moment, Jesus changed his name from Cephas and Simon to Peter, Petros, Rock. Wow. Yeah, that's awesome because, you know, we know who Jesus is. Jesus tells you who you are. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy because a lot of times. Yeah, it is. It is because we think we have our identity, you know, the world and circumstances and our education and all this comprises our identity. And to think that there's. Well, we don't even think a lot of times that there is this other identity to be had and that the identity that we have isn't even the God ordained identity of who we really are meant to be. And so, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> now, here's the other thing about this. It's really intriguing is that I think Jesus's highest value. The thing that really continued to motivate him to respond and not react to people, because I, I think one of our journeys is from reacting to responding. And because uh, reacting is knee-jerk and thoughtless, and responding is, involves thoughtfulness. And when Jesus was, you know, uh, confronted with the Pharisees by the Pharisees and others, instead of reacting, he responded. And the reason why, because his highest value was believing and trusting that he was always beloved of God. Mm-hmm. And when Lauren Dago, the Christian artist of the year last year, in uh, her song, You Say, uh, which is one of my favorites. Uh, and the lyrics are incredible. The lyrics of a number of her songs are incredible. But it, it, one of the lyrical lines in that song you say is, you are my worth, you are my identity. Mm-hmm. It, what really identifies, I mean, because we're wounded, we let our assets, our good looks, or our athletic prowess, or our wealth possessions, or achievements, these are all assets. But we're so wounded, we make them the basis of our identity. So we have a sense of self, but it's not our true self. In fact, the word authentic, I'm big on the origin of the words because I don't spend much time with the hairdresser. So the word authentic comes from the root word authenticos. It means coming from the author, capital A. The closer you get to God's authorship of you, the more authentic a person you will be. But if you go far afield of that and you let your good looks or athletic prowess or achievements be your basis of identity, you have a sense of self, but it won't be the true you. Yeah, yeah, that's incredible. Um, uh, I feel I feel like we could go. I feel like we could go back and forth all day. I love talking like this. My dad used to pastor um, back in Colorado Springs for a few years. Um, and I was in Inglewood Cherry Hills, a, a, sub, a Denver suburb in Southeast Denver, yeah. for several years as associate pastor of a church. There I know go. Colorado Springs. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and so I just love. I mean, well. I didn't necessarily love growing up with a pastor dad, but now that I'm older and have my own relationship with God, um, 
Oh yeah, I could go back and forth with pastors all day. So, <laughs> but I think our time is our time is pretty well spent. I could keep going, but um, just out of respect of your time and the listeners' time, I would just like to ask you. If, if anything, if there's one thing that you would want the listeners to just take away from hearing um, about your testimony and just hearing this conversation, if there was kind of just one thing that you really wanted them to leave with on today. Well, uh, let me put it this way. In my more seasoned years, I know I'm a senior citizen, but I like to say in my more seasoned years, I think that one way you could talk about the journey of a Christian through life is a journey from personality to personhood. Because the Bible talks about becoming new persons, not new personalities, new persons in Christ. The word person originally means sounding through. And so here's what I'm trying to say. There were 12 disciples. Two of them were brothers, uh, James and John, sons of Zebedee. And the, and the Gospels exp- describe them two ways. Sons of Zebedee, Zebedee's are dead, but they also called them the sons of thunder. They were angry, temperamental guys by virtue of their personalities. So much so that a few weeks or months into it, they're in this town that Jesus can't do miracle one. His teachings aren't received well. People are mean-spirited. Nothing good could happen in there. And so they're coming out of town. Guess what James and John say? We should call fire from heaven and scorch and torch this place. Look how they treated you. And that came from their personality, even though they had said yes to Jesus. But they were in the early side of it. Well, years later, Herod sees to it personally that James, the brother of John, is executed. This is not James, the half-brother of Jesus, who later becomes head of the Church of Jerusalem. This is James' brother John. Well, years later, when most of the disciples are gone except John, he lives about 30 years longer than all of them. He is uh, exiled to Patmos and writes Revelation. He writes the Gospel of John. He writes 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And when he dies, you know what they call him? The Apostle of Love. Hmm. There's no sign of, uh, of anger and temperamentalness that were part of his personality being p- present anymore. If John had never met Jesus, he would simply died a damn good fisherman. But because he had met Jesus and said a growing yesness to Jesus, the Holy Spirit moved in, became residential within him, and shaped him into a person beyond his personality. Mm. And the person he became, he could never achieve on his own, ever, 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 ever. It was the Holy Spirit's work, because I think the Holy Spirit is partly deployed inside of us by God to be God's appointed uh, life shaper, because the combination of our culture and our woundedness together gang up on us to misshapen us. Hmm. The Holy Spirit is, is, is residential within us to rightly shape us for God's purposes. And God shaped John into a person beyond his personality. And the question we need to ask is, how do I grow and mature in my intimacy with Christ in such a way that I'm no longer known primarily because of my personality, but because of my increasing fruitfulness as a person in Christ? Well, now I have to ask you how. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, what is it? Uh, Ephesians 1.11, it says, it is in Christ we find out who we are and what we're living for. And um, there's all kinds of resources to help you move from personality to personhood. My mentor teacher at Yale, who had caused me to say yes to Yale and no to Harvard and Vanderbilt, was Henry Nowen, one of the greatest Christian spirituality writers of all time. And I was a research assistant for three of his 39 books. But one of his books is uh, called um, Reaching Out, The Three Moves of the Spiritual Life. He talks about the movement from loneliness to solitude, from hostility to hospitality, from illusion of prayer. 
And so we need to live life in such a way that we, we make the right movements from certain natural personality features to kind of a new normal as persons. And, and that's a journey. We need Christian community that understands that. We need uh, growing intimacy with God's word. I have a two and a half hour devotional biblical Christian resource um, journaling and prayer time every morning. And I'm on journal number 20. And um, anyway, those are partial answers that get you hungry enough to, to keep on searching. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Testimony Service Podcast. If you'd like to share your testimony on an upcoming episode, visit www.martinanicole.com slash podcast. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review. It'll help get these testimonies to more ears. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. We'll be back next Wednesday. So here's a sneak peek for you. When you come from a church before and then you have your slip, you're like, yeah, but I know that Jesus died for me. Like he died so that I could come back from this. And like for the past few months, I really struggled with the whole guilt and shame of those events. And I thought, well, do you know what? His blood has paid everything for me so that I don't have to live with that anymore.